Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We've got a really big show for you today. Ben Jollis is going to drop by. Ben is the president of People's for the American Way at the moment and the PFAW Foundation. He's a visiting scholar at the Annenberg School, former president of the NAACP, and former candidate for governor of Maryland, along with uh, Susie Turnbull, our buddy, who is his running mate. Debbie Hines is going to drop by with uh, closing thoughts on the Chauvin conviction and all of that. I've got a rant that I published this morning over at HartmanReport.com about the whole policing in America, where it came from, how it got this way, and what we should be doing about it. The new big lie, the Republican big lie, you know, the last one was Donald Trump won the election. That lie, you know, still has its own life. There's a new lie that they're trying to get away with, and we can't let them get away with it. I'll get to that in just a minute. Anti-vaxxers say that the vaccinated are actually now fake GMO humans. And we've got a whole interesting story about that that'll be coming up. But first, I am so happy to have Ben Jealous back on the line with us. He is the president of People for the American Way and the PFAW Foundation. He's a visiting scholar at the Annenberg School at Penn State, former president of the NAACP, former candidate for governor of Maryland with our buddy Susie Turnbull as his running mate. PFAW.org is the website, and his Twitter handle is Ben Jealous or People4, F-O-R. Ben Jealous, welcome back to the program. I'm curious what, in your mind, is the best plan to end police misconduct in the United States? Well, you know, first of all, I really was greatly relieved, you know, by the verdict. And I believe what the verdict represents, frankly, is the success of multiple movements. The you know, movement that the Floyd family launched for justice for George, it's the movement that resulted in Keith Ellison becoming the top prosecutor in Minnesota. It's the movement that was launched by the Rodney King case 30 years ago. And if you really kind of come down to it, frankly, it's also the movement that started with the the revolution in this country after the Boston Massacre. 
you know, this country has been uncomfortable with authoritarian policing from the very beginning and yet trapped, if you will, in a web of inertia. Uh, and our law enforcement historically kind of have two points of origin. One is the old redcoats, the old British colonial military, and the other is slave patrols. And none of that serves us well in the 21st century. And so our challenge at this moment is to, quite frankly, reimagine public safety and then reinvent it. The most exciting thing that happened in, in, you know, during the trial, if you will, was day three, miles away in Ithaca, New York, the town voted to replace their police department with a civilian-managed public safety department and to authorize that department to replace up to half of the officers over time through attrition with uniformed unarmed social workers because they recognize that half of what they relied on the police department to do was frontline social work and that people who are trained as officers aren't really trained well to handle social work. That may not be the solution in every community, but it is an, ex- an inspiration for every community to press pause and say, okay, what do we really need here for all of us to be safe right now? Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing that uh, around the country here in in Portland. If my memory serves me right, it's it's been a few weeks since I read the story in the local newspaper. Um, the city appropriated, I believe it was six million dollars, to uh, deal with the uh, rash of shootings that has happened. It's happening all over the country now in the city, and none of that money is going to police officers. It's all going to things that will minimize situations where people get shot and deal with all those, you know, all those kinds of things. That seems like a really good start. I don't know if you read my op-ed this morning over at HartmanReport.com, but I pointed out that our policing really comes out of the British occupation forces and the slave patrols and, and that it has always been kind of militarized and racist. And, and I, I was quoting the British instructions from 1829, I think it was, Robert Peel's suggestion on policing, where basically he said that police draw their credibility, their authority from the approval of the community. And we have largely lost that in the United States to the extent that we ever had it. I mean, you know, you've got obviously Andy of Mayberry kind of, you know, fictional stories about it. But how do we get that? How do we get to that point? Yeah, I know. I did not read, you know, the op-ed, but great minds think alike, I guess. And, the, you know, and the, and the appeal principles, of course, come, you know, after the era that gave birth to the, to the revolution and, you know, represented uh, an evolution at the time. And the thinking in this country, we are very comfortable with recognizing slavery as one of the foundational sins of America, whether it's the genocide committed against Native Americans or the enslavement of Africans. We are less comfortable really owning classism and really a kind of a sort of hatred and loathing for the poor as being baked in. In England, it's just the opposite. They're very uncomfortable talking about racism. They're very comfortable dealing with classism. And, of course, both are problems in both places. And that actually, you know, really, I think, ultimately speaks to why we can be so hopeful that we can build a national consensus to transform public safety. Because the police, the most visible abuse, disproportionate abuse against black people, but they really just abuse the poor of all colors in a way that is profound. And interestingly, every community in the United States, when you poll them, the majority of people, regardless of race or class, feel like the police are too rough with their community. 
And what you're really mm-hmm. getting into is that the, the deadliest problem in, in American policing is actually authoritarianism. There's a criminologist out of the John Jay School of, of Criminal Justice named uh, Phil Goff. Years ago, when he was at UCLA, did a study, looked at officers, live subject testing, real officers who rated high in authoritarianism, but low in racism, implicit bias, or high in racism, but low in authoritarianism, and then presented them with a, a black man wielding a stick, appealing to be, to, appearing to be both dangerous and mentally deranged. The, the one who was racist, but chill, if you will, not authoritarian, talked the guy down in three minutes. The one who was authoritarian, but not racist, probably you know, had a rainbow of friends, uh, shot him in 15 seconds. And so, wow. you know, when you look at Minneapolis, what we often forget, and I would say at our peril, is that in between George Floyd and, and Philando Castile, or Philando Castile and George Floyd chronologically, a white woman was killed by a black officer. Why was she killed by that black officer? Because she did not comply with his commands. Now, why didn't she comply with his commands? Because she was having an epileptic seizure. And he shot her multiple times through the windshield of her car when she was having a seizure because she did not follow his commands. <laughs> that is, in essence, the, the, the most dangerous problem. It turns out that while racist officers will harass you and mistreat you and abuse you, the most dangerous officer is the authoritarian one, independent of their racism. They're the ones that are most likely to kill you, and they actually are a threat to you know, every community, even though, obviously, the layer of racism means that my people, black people, have to deal with it disproportionately. And so I think we as a country really have to have the courage to just step back and say, how might we create a public safety force that allows all of us to feel truly safe. Because if we're honest, you know, all of us, you know, are more unsafe than we often discuss in public. Right. And how do we, how do we filter out authoritarian officers? Using psychological tests appropriately. Mm-hmm. Going back to the city of Ithaca, they've been a lab on this for a long time. Cornell University's there. Seven years ago, mm-hmm. they began testing every officer for authoritarianism. It weeds out 75% of the officers who meet every other test. Three quarters of them wow. are too authoritarian. Turns out policing often attracts people who are bullied as children and they want to be in control and you got to weed them out. Yeah, amen. Ben Jealous, always great talking with you. I always learn something. Thank you so much for dropping by. All right, Tom, appreciate you, sir. Bye now. Great talking with you. The president of the People for the American Way, pfaw.org. Ben Jealous is his Twitter handle. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The new big lie, the Republican big lie, you know, some Republicans are are working rather aggressively to basically rewrite history. This is a 21st century version of the old Confederacy big lie from the 19th century, from the 1800s. Only it even goes beyond the big lie that Donald Trump told that he won the election when, in fact, he lost by 7 million votes. But now they're trying to sanitize treason as well. I laid this all out, you know, with all the links and everything over at HartmanReport.com. You can read it there. No ads, it's free, all that kind of stuff. George Orwell famously pointed out, and I quote, those who control the past control the future. 
This was the basis of the Reagan legacy project. Remember back in the day, back you know after Reagan left office, a bunch of wealthy donors put together this thing where they they got together and said, uh, "Hey, you know, let's uh, let's put a statue of Ronald Reagan or name a building after Ronald Reagan in every single congressional district in America and every country in the world." And they did it. They pulled it off. And, you know, uh, just like we used to name buildings after Franklin Roosevelt because he was so beloved. I mean, that was just kind of a spontaneous thing. There was no big campaign funded by billionaires. Well, in this case, the billionaires funded the campaign and they got what they wanted. So now we're seeing that, you know, this attempt to rewrite history has to do with January 6th. And this, this is no small thing. And these attempts to rewrite history actually can have you know a huge consequence. I mean, there, there are still people who think that Ronald Reagan was a great president because his name's all over everything. Ronald Reagan was one of our absolute worst presidents. He, he presided over an economic disaster. He tripled the national debt. He raised taxes on working people 11 times. He taxed Social Security income. He taxed unemployment income. He destroyed labor unions. He gutted the middle class. He, he started an illegal, two illegal wars in Central America that to this day are causing refugees to come to the United States. He cut a deal with the Iranians to sell them weapons in exchange for holding hostages so he could win an election. He committed treason. You could go on and on, all right? The whole Reaganomics thing, he turned the economy upside down. He created a whole generation of billionaires and wiped out much of the wealth of the American middle class. But the big lie of Reagan having a wonderful presidency lived on because of the Reagan Legacy Project. Well, I remember back in the 1980s, um, Louise and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. I think it was 83 when we moved to Atlanta. And we started a business in suburban Atlanta, which did pretty well, actually. But what I most vividly remember about that period of time, our kids were all in you know elementary and, and junior high school at that point in time was one night at dinner saying, well, so what did you learn in school today? And one of our kids said, we learned about the war of northern aggression. And I'm like, really? Yeah, the New York bankers, they were robbing the South, and so the South had to fight back. Right. This is what happens when history is allowed to be rewritten for over a century. Keep in mind, we were living in, and our kids were going to school in, Newt Gingrich's district in Marietta, Georgia. But that's what's happening again today. Over at the Washington Post, Mike DeBonis and Urbanis and, and, and Jeremy Barr and a few others wrote this uh, remarkable piece. I, I put a couple quotes from it in today's piece over at Harbin Report. Instead of an attempt to overturn the election, they wrote, by radicalized Donald Trump supporters, the attack on January 6th was actually a choreographed attack staged by Antifa provocateurs. Rather than an armed insurrection, it was a good-natured protest spoiled by a few troublemakers. And instead of a deadly event that put the lives of hundreds of lawmakers, police officers, and others at risk, the riot was no big deal at all. This, again, from the Washington Post. A legion of conservative activists, they write, media personalities and elected officials are seeking to rewrite the story of what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, hoping to undermine the clear picture of the attack that has emerged. Six weeks after the attack, some are taking advantage of fading memories and unanswered questions to portray the riot in a different, more benign light. So now we have, you know, Democrats actually trying to put together a commission to look into what's going on. 
And basically at every effort, they're thwarted. Every, every time they try to put this thing together or, you know, when the congressional, there, there's several different congressional committees that could be looking into this. And uh, there's, there's, there's one small subcommittee that seems to be doing something. But basically every time the Democrats try to do anything from subpoena somebody to whatever, the Republicans object to it and turn it into a whole procedural thing. And gee, it'll take a month to sort this one out. And so, you know, we still don't know what happened. I mean, you've got this memo from Chris Miller, the uh, Trump toady. Remember, after Trump lost the election, he basically decapitated the Pentagon, put a whole bunch of new people in, in, the, in the civilian positions in the Pentagon. Chris Miller was one of them. He wrote this memo on January 4th, two days before the uh, attempt to end democracy in America, the, the coup d'etat, and said, without my subsequent personal authorization, the D.C. National Guard is not authorized to be issued weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or other ballistic protection, to interact physically with protesters, to employ any riot control agents, to share equipment with law enforcement agencies, to use intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, to employ helicopters or other air assets, to conduct searches, seizures, arrests, or other similar law enforcement activity, or to support or to ask for support from any non-DC groups. So here's this new story. Right, and this new story is that, oh, it was not a big deal. Oh, and if it was a big deal, it was Antifa and Black Lives Matter and Maxine Waters was behind it. Honest to God, I mean, this, this, is, this is where these guys are going with this right now. It's Big Lie 2.0. Steve Scalise, you know, the guy who campaigned saying he was David Duke without the baggage, the number two Republican, he's from Louisiana. He blasted Maxine Waters yesterday. Because she had said, you know, if the uh, verdict comes back not guilty, we need to be in a little more confrontational in the streets. And he's like saying, I, you know, he, she's encouraging violence. And they said, well, what about, you know, when Trump said, you got to fight like hell, go to the Capitol. He's like, oh, no, no, Trump, Trump never said that. No, uh, Mo Brooks doesn't need to apologize for, for the speech that he gave. No, no, no. it's all it's all that uh, black woman, Maxine Waters. Yeah, that's that, that, that's what's going on. Right. This is version two of the Trump big lie, and it must not be allowed to stand. I mean, this is just a variation on the old Hitler big lie, and we just we just can't let them get away with it. We've got to point out what's going on. They are trying to rewrite. They're sanitizing. This is the Tom Hartman program. January 6th was an actual attempted coup d'etat. It was an attempt to end the government of the United States. We need to say it up front, say it out loud, and say it repeatedly. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. 
Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I mean, this is just incredible. Steve Scalise, he's, uh, you know, the Republican from Louisiana. He blasted Representative Maxine Waters, this David Edwards over at uh, Ross Story. She said that protesters in Minneapolis or in Minnesota should become more confrontational if former police officer Derek Chauvin is found not guilty in the death of George Floyd. And they had this Republican House leadership conference and all of them were just like, oh my God, Maxine Waters said something. You know, it's, it's all it takes to make Republicans hysterical is for a black woman to say something. I mean, it, it has become that. A reporter suggested the, the, the Republican effort to expel or censure Waters was uh, hypocritical because they refused to support a similar effort against Mo Brooks, who encouraged pro-Trump protesters minutes before they violently stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Scalise sidestepped the question about Brooks and used the opportunity to attack Waters. I have been very clear in speaking out against any kind of political rhetoric that incites violence, he said. The fact that Speaker Pelosi covered for her, she was trying to incite violence, and in fact there is violence going on right now in Minnesota because of her actions. Right, right. People are upset in Minnesota, not because a white cop spent nine and a half minutes killing a black guy, an unarmed black man. That's not what they're upset about, according to uh, you know David Duke without the baggage, uh, Steve Scalise. No, what they're upset about is Maxine Waters told them to be upset. She's like the general who's giving orders to all these people who are who are out there, uh, you know, marching and speaking and all this kind of stuff. He goes on to say, I've been very clear in speaking out against any kind of political rhetoric that incites violence. The fact that Speaker Pelosi covered for her, she was trying to incite violence. And in fact, there is violence going on right now in Minnesota because of her actions. He says, I would like to see Maxine Waters apologize for the inflammatory comments that she's made inciting violence. She did not incite violence. Let's just be very clear about this. This is what Republicans do. Anytime you get even close to pointing out that these guys are complicit in an act of treason. And there's no other word that you can use to describe that. This was an act of treason. It was very, very straightforward. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for America to keep 
to keep focused on, are they going to succeed? Is this going to be like the Reagan legacy project where, you know, 10, 20 years from now, the story that's being told is not that Republicans tried to end the Republic, tried to end America, but rather that 20 years from now, the story is told that uh, Maxine Waters and a bunch of other black Democrats uh, tried to stir up a riot or words to that effect. I mean, do you think they're, they're going to be effective at it? Do you think it'll, it'll work? Are they going to be able to pull it off? I'm frankly a little skeptical, but hey, they're doing everything they possibly can right now. And right-wing media is right there with them. You got Tucker Carlson going, oh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, this is, this is what's happening. And it seems that nobody is, you know, taking it seriously. Nobody's really taking, you know, paying close attention to this. So, but I am, and you should be too. Back, Tom Harbin here with you. Okay, the anti-vaxxers, they have gone nuts. I mean, this is the new claim. This is how crazy this is, but this is like, this has seized big chunks of like Facebook and other social media. I mean, you know, it's out there, right? The, the word is out there that these vaccines cause genetic mutations. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like distorting. Well, it's not even distorting the science. It's just, they're just lying. They're just making this stuff up. And it's got something to do with messenger RNA. And that must have something to do with DNA. And that must have something to do with genes. That must have something to do with genetic modification. No. But this message is being carried right now on Telegram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. According to the Daily Beast, they, they are reporting this. People who are vaccinated will have modified DNA, reads one meme, which compares the getting the shot to breeding sheep. No one discusses the DNA is passed on to the next generation. The risk that your children will marry into other cultures is possibly now shadowed by the fact that your children may marry into a COVID-vaxxed gene group, potentially shortening their lives and that of others. Right. So, this... This is amazing. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do we best communicate to these folks that, you know, you, you really should get a vaccine, you know, because we would like to save some lives here. We, we know beyond any doubt that people who are vaccinated don't die. They generally don't end up in hospitals. And in fact, literally nine times out of 10, they don't even get infected. Now, they can still get infections rarely, and they may be contagious. We're still trying to figure that out. But so therefore, we still need to wear our masks even when we're vaccinated. But all that said, this vaccine is not, you know, like turning you into a mutant or, or anything. So, so what do we do? How do we get these people to figure this out? Well, I have one solution. <laughs> Gentlemen, get your masks, even in younger men. COVID-19, this, this uh, from a news story, I'm sorry, I don't have the, the source for this, but uh, COVID-19 could multiply your risk for, of suffering from erectile dysfunction. And if you already suffer from it, you could also be at greater risk of being infected by COVID-19. Now, that's an interesting reverse causation thing. And we're not talking about older men who are already known to be particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. The average age of the subject studied by Italian researchers was 30 Three. The author of the study, Dr. Emanuel A. Giannini, issued a strong warning 
mask up to keep it up. Now, you know, some people have made jokes about, well, you know, if the uh, Republican anti-vaxxers and the anti-maskers and, uh, you know, all the, you know, the people who are believing this propaganda that, that Trump and, and, you know, some foreign governments are pushing in the United States that these uh, vaccines are going to turn you into a mutant or something like that. Um, you know, let them die, right? <laughs> They're just going to get sick and die. Well, first of all, it's not going to be that simple. The death rate is only around 2-3%. And, uh, you know, and they've got some, some uh, uh, not cures, but they've got some pretty good drugs that, you know, the monoclonal antibodies that, that work, that, that help people through it. So it's not, even if you wanted to adopt that kind of brutal mentality and say, well, yeah, you, screw them. You know, why try to talk them into wearing a mask? Just let them get sick and die. Because most of them aren't going to die. They're just going to get sick. And then their lost productivity becomes part of our tax bill. Their medical expenses becomes part of our insurance bill. You, know, you, you see how all that works. But increasing by 600% the chance that they can't get an erection, that the men among them can't get an erection once they've had COVID, 600% increase in erectile dysfunction. Well, that might stop them from breeding. <laughs> I mean, it's not gonna kill them, but hey, there won't be a future generation of anti-vaxxers. Don't tell anybody, right? Don't tell the anti-vaxxers because uh, this might work out very well, or it might not. I mean, you know, it's uh, maybe this will be the thing that'll get them to say, uh, you know, shouldn't be doing that. I don't know. You know, it's what's it going to be? Which message is going to be most effective? How, how can we convince these folks that all this hysteria that they're getting, all of the all of the bizarre messages that they're getting are lies? And, but, you know, I mean, I'm getting these things in email from people, from, from people that I once thought were smart people. It's it's just totally weird. Do you want your jeans modified? Well, yeah, these jeans, I've been wearing them for a couple days now. They probably should be washless, I suppose. Oh, no, not those jeans. I'm talking about your genetics jeans. Right. That ain't happening. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Thoughts on the big lie, version one and version two. What do we do about it? How do we stop it? And and what do we do with these bizarre conspiracy theorists? What are we going to do about all this stuff? We've got, you know, these new... Big Lie 2.0. Oh, you know that that the don't believe your lying eyes. That that video that you can see from the Capitol. Those are Antifa people, don't you know? Uh, I mean, Trump came out and said, "Hey, you know they were hugging and kissing the the Capitol police. That's why 140 of them ended up in the hospital." <laughs> I mean, it's like really. Oh man. Anyhow, picking up your phone calls here, Tony and. Puyallup, Washington. Hey, Tony, what's up? Oh, Tom, I just wondered if you had discussed, I wasn't able to listen to you yesterday. Have, have you discussed this What this phenomenon of they are printing up fake um, certificates that you've gotten your vaccination and selling them online? 
Yeah, I saw some are for sale over on uh, eBay, I guess, is uh, the article that I saw. Yeah, well, um, yeah. yeah, I just think that just, uh, <laughs> I was just blown away by it. Okay, I just wondered if you had I think. I think it's going to be a short-lived phenomena. I mean, you know, it'll probably work in some cir- circumstances and situations uh, for people who want to do this. But um, you've got some big companies, uh, IBM, Clear. Clear is the company that uh, you can you know, go through the airport super fast with. IBM is working on one. Microsoft is working on one. There's, uh, you've got individual state governments. We're going to end up with digital um, vaccine passports. They will be voluntary. You know, just there's so much hysteria around all this kind of stuff. But we're going to end up with something like that because, frankly, you know, business is going to need this. I have no interest in going into a restaurant if the person sitting next to me has not been vaccinated and is some kind of weird anti-vaxxer, right? I would like to yeah, know well, if I'm yeah. going to go into a restaurant that the people in there have all had their vaccine. If I'm going to take a cruise, I want to know that everybody on that ship has been vaccinated. If I'm going to be on an airplane, I'd rather not have some, you know, wackadoodle sitting next to me who's who's into some bizarre conspiracy theory that the vaccine is going to change their DNA or something. Yeah. Right, so but you're, I, you not, know, you're not. You're, you're not. Uh, you don't think this is going to have too much in a, of an effect? There's these fake ones that they're printing up online that they can order. No, because the like I said, I think it's going to have a, an effect around the edges. But the ones oh, that they're yeah. creating, the digital ones, are are QR code scannable, just like you know you can get a boarding pass now on your on your phone or on your watch. And, you know, they're pretty hard to counterfeit. So I'm not real worried about it. I, you know, I get it that it's happening, uh, but I'm not real worried about it. Tony, thank you for the call. It's, you know, it's an interesting question and it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Different countries are actually doing this in different ways, too. Uh, Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind? Yeah. Hi, Tom. I wanted to know if you had heard on Rachel Maddow's show the other night. I was I was my mouth was just open. I was so shocked when she was talking about when I guess we call it the Oath Keepers, I guess that's their name. And she was saying that they now had all this information while they were trying to get these people arrested. And they actually had the, I guess you would call it the audibility, the true audible sounds of their microphones. And it was, they even had the names of these people. And when they were inside, stuff that hadn't been Mm. released before. And yeah. I wanted to know if, you know, this is, you know, when when they get upset, when the Republicans get upset about, like, Maxine Waters, well, the news, I don't understand. They could have picked this up. <laughs> they picked up, you know, they picked up the Maxine Waters story. And this could have been, I was, I thought the next day, I thought the news would have yeah. something on this. Because yeah. they had, I guess there was a man named Rhodes. And I thought, yeah. you know, yeah. could you explain this Rhodes, people that hadn't one of, heard one it? Of the founders. Yeah. You know, Rachel does a really good job of covering that stuff and has in the past and is continuing to. And, and I, you know, I think it's important reporting. But if, but it was, it, if it, a it black was woman so says something, Fox News will go nuts and yeah. and the Republican Party will go nuts. And, and so, you know, that's why Maxine Waters is more in the news than than the Oath Keepers, frankly. But yeah, the question I that I have, Nancy, I and the thing that I'm not seeing answered and that concerns me tremendously is, you know, what about the leadership? Where did this thing come from? You know, there was that January 5th secret meeting in in the Trump Hotel that apparently yeah. Senator 
Tuberville or Tuberville or whatever his name is attended, and Don Jr. and and a bunch of them that was you know planning for the next day. It looks to me like none of this was accidental. I think Roger Stone is probably right in the middle of it. Uh, at least he seems to be trying to imply that he is. He was certainly right in the middle of the 2000 Brook Brothers riot, which is really basically just the same thing. You know, a bunch of people trying to shut down a government function by threat of physical intimidation. They actually succeeded in shutting down the count in Florida back in 2000. And I think they thought they were going to shut down the count in Washington, D.C. in 2020. And, yeah, and, she you know, had and they nearly did, some, by the way. She had some proof of some, like, some, some radio broadcasts that were showing mm-hmm. people from out of town how to come, what time, yep. and how to get there ahead yep. of time, what days. Yep, yep. Yeah, this is yeah, this well, is bigger I, than I think the average American mm-hmm. has any idea. And I think so. And you're the only I, one I think I've what heard we're it gonna we, yeah, well, what we're going to find out, I, I believe, you know, this is my opinion. I, I can't back this up with specific facts, but I think that there's a fair amount of evidence, at least circumstantial evidence at this point, that suggests that this is true. That that this was an attempt at the highest levels of government. And by highest levels of government, I'm talking about the president of the United States and the people around him. This was an attempt at the highest levels of government to overturn a, the 2020 election and declare Donald Trump basically president for life, you know, dictator for life, strongman dictator, fascist dictator, whatever, end the American experiment in small d democracy in a small r republic and replace it with, you know, America becoming just another oligarchy like Turkey or Hungary or Russia or like that. And that that was the goal and that there were a whole bunch of people in on that goal. And I want to know what Bill Barr's role was in that role. I want to know what Chris Miller's role was in that effort. I want to know what Trump Jr. and and the rest of the Trump family's role was in that. I want to know what Tommy Tuberville was doing in that thing. I want to know, you know, I've read now two articles. Neither one has sources that I consider credible, unfortunately. But I've seen two articles now that they're having a hard time finding any of the footage pre-January 6th from the security cameras in the capitals. Uh, Apparently, uh, you know, this is according to at least one story, it was either wiped or accidentally wiped or it only stays for for 30 days and so it's now long gone. So if uh, Lauren Boebert or, or Marjorie Trader Green or one of the others, uh, you know, were, were actually giving tours to these traitors who were going to come and attack the United States government and try and kill and uh, try to assassinate Nancy Pelosi and, and Mike Pence, yeah. if they were actually participating in that, the hard evidence may be gone forever. I mean, it, it's possible that we're just not seeing it because, you know, uh, Merrick Garland and the and the Justice Department has seized it and they're and they've got it before a grand jury and it's secret testimony. I hope that's the case, but I am not holding my breath. You know, I, I just, you know, I've seen enough of these kind of cover-ups. Go ahead. Well, I thank you, and please keep us all informed as you do. Thank you so much. I will I will do my very best. Thank you, Nancy. I appreciate the call. Uh-huh. Thanks for thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV there in Elkhart, Indiana. Dave in Federal Way, Washington, listening on Sirius XM. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Tom, I just want to say about January 6th and the, and the Miller uh, memo, you are 100% right. All right, and I'm going to try to convince you. I mean, I understand why you have your doubts. I'm going to try to convince you, okay? Mark Milley, the, the, the fate of this democracy was in the hands of Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I don't particularly like Milley, but he knew one thing. and that, Me and him agree on one thing. Mike Flynn is a flake. All right? Milley was not going to risk this 
He's not just a flake. He's a foreign agent. He took $600,000 from Turkey and tried to change U.S. policy while he was in office, while he was the national security advisor. Yes, but I, I just know Millie believes, knows the truth. Flynn is a flake. Yeah. All right? yeah. and, and so he wasn't going to risk it. Now, uh, Millie disagreed with, um, with President Biden over withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan, okay? Now, let me explain this. I, nobody wants troops out of Afghanistan more than me. The 18 worst months of my life were spent in Kandahar, Afghanistan, all right? Nobody yeah. wants this out more than me. But there's something bigger here. We got a problem. Joe Biden truly respects, he does not agree, but he respects the 70 million Trump voters, okay? And our problem is simply this. We have a von Poppen, uh, Franz von Poppen said he could control Hitler, all right? If you ever look at their resumes, compare Poppins to Hitler's. Of course, any reasonable German would agree with von Poppen. I mean, his resume was quite impressive. Hitler's was nothing by comparison, okay? But here's what Hitler knew. Hitler knew that nobody was interested in going back to sanity and normalcy. That's what Hitler knew. And this is what Trump and the Trump voters know. And I think Joe Biden's making a mistake by by trying to reach out to him. Uh, yeah. we need, we I, I'm not yet sure Biden. how much he's trying to reach out to them versus he's just trying to establish a record so that when he does things unilaterally, essentially, he can say, I tried. I tried everything I could. They wouldn't go along with me. I'm more inclined to think that's the game he's playing, but we'll see. To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I mean, I've heard him at least twice now in public venues redefined bipartisanship as the Republican people are with me, even if the elected officials aren't. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So let's talk about policing for a minute and, uh, and, and continue our other conversations as well. I'll, I'll get back to your phone calls in just a few moments here. But 
there is so much of a celebration right now that a murderous psychopathic cop and perhaps some of his compatriots are going to you know, rot in jail for years and years, perhaps the rest of their lives, that it seems, at least to me, that we're missing some really big questions. Like, why did a police officer's knee end up on a guy's neck for passing a bad $20 bill? Is that really the sort of crime that you go after? I mean, you know, if you know who he is or where he is, you can have a court date. Why? Why was a cop patrolling in a neighborhood that was 19 miles away from where he lived? Why don't we have community policing in the United States? How has Ronald Reagan's decision, I believe it's called the 1099 program, although I might be mixing that up with, a, with an IRS document, but how did Ronald Reagan's decision, that was really a gift to the defense industry, the military contractors, that every year surplus military equipment would be given to police departments across the country? I mean, literally, you can see this on Netflix, right? Or however you get your old shows. Go back and look at cop shows pre-Reagan. Louise and I were watching Cagney and Lacey you know, for a couple of weeks, which it took place in the 80s, but it was before the Reagan stuff really bit. All the police had revolvers, police specials. They didn't have these you know, big semi-automatic weapons. They didn't show up, you know, they didn't bring a SWAT team to, to serve a warrant. You go back and watch Macmillan and Wife or, you know, actually any of the police shows, any of the cop shows pre-1985. And, you know, you saw normal cops. Post-1985, what do you see? Basically the military. The, you know, Reagan militarized our police. Why aren't we having a conversation about that? We had a fellow call in the other day and point out that um, he, he was uh, talking about the Stanford, I believe it was Stanford, prison experiment, which is where they took a group of uh, college students and, had, and, and, and put them in a, uh, uh, an, an unused prison facility and had half of them just randomly selected to be guards and half of them as prisoners. And within a few days, a week or so, the guards had just turned into monsters and the prisoners had turned into, you know, passive, uh, beaten down. I mean, it was just, it was, they had to cancel the experiment. Why do we, why do we hyper-militarize this stuff? Why, how, does, how does that help our society? I get it that there are some people who are so broken or even evil that they have to be temporarily or even permanently separated from society. I totally get that. I'm supportive of that. But we have gone way over the edge. Yes, take out the Charlie Mansons of the world. But that's not who the majority of the people in jail are. Why is it that our police treat people who are black in particular, people of color in general, and people in poor communities, even white people in poor communities, why is it that they treat them so differently and with so little respect compared to the way that they treat people in wealthy communities? 
particularly white people in wealthy communities. And yes, occasionally black people in wealthy communities are treated well, but very often they also get arrested for, you know, I mean, you know, Dr. Louis Gates is a great example. Remember when he got arrested by a cop for, for, for trying to open his own front door? Because it was a big fancy house outside of Washington, D.C. I think it was in Georgetown. And uh, they ended up having lunch with President Obama. I mean, it was like, really? Why is it that 12,000 American citizens have been killed by police since the year 2000 and only seven or eight of them, seven or eight of those police have been charged with murder? Why is it that America has 4%, 4 4.3 or 4.4% of the world's population, yet we have a quarter of the world's prisoners? Why is it that, that slavery, literal slavery, is still legal in the United States. The 13th Amendment says that slavery shall be, shall be banned except if you're convicted of a crime. It literally provides that exception. Why do we still allow slavery in the United States? And how is that part of that law tied to the fact that our prisons are among the most brutal in the developed world? Our prisons are not places for rehabilitation. If you have an opportunity to, to watch Michael Moore's movie, Where to Invade Next, there is a piece in that movie, uh, 15, 20 minutes of the movie, where he goes to Norway and he visits one of their top security prisons. And it's like, it's like a dormitory. The, the inmates cook their own food. Yes, they have knives. <laughs> they, you know, because the assumption is they're all going to be reintegrated back into society, or at least the vast majority of them. There are a few who probably won't. You know, people like Anders Brevik, you know, the, the mass murderer. But they're still treated as if they are humans. There's this underlying assumption of humanity. And that echoes through society. You know, the, the, the bottom line is that policing should be about preventing crime as much as catching and punishing criminals. In fact, policing should not be about punishing criminals at all. That's the job of courts and prisons. And yet Donald Trump is out, you know, out there saying to the, remember when he gave that talk to the police chiefs association, he said, rough them up a little bit. You know, don't be so nice. And he put them in the cars. Right? That's just wrong. But back to the guy who called in and said, and, and said you know, uh, with Reagan's program, when you dress up like you're you know, uh, a ninja warrior, a, a, a stormtrooper, you start thinking like one. And it's absolutely true. And police who dress like they're, like they're from the Empire in Star Wars don't just resemble an occupying army, they become an occupying army. And that's not the basis of policing. The most powerful tool for policing is the cooperation of the community. That is the single most powerful thing. And that only comes when police are viewed as legitimate representatives and members of the community. The second most powerful tool for policing is when the police officers themselves are held in high personal regard. They're respected by the citizens that they protect and serve. When they're perceived as the good guys, not as, you know, the, not as the high school bullies or the, uh, you know, the drunken jocks who grew up and got a job as a cop, which is, you know, sadly all too often the case. 
Now, none of those are radical positions or even all that controversial. I've, I've told you the story before of, you know, having gone through the Georgia Police Academy and there was this Secret Service agent there who was one of, our, one of my instructors, a brilliant guy. And he was just gung-ho on what were called the general instructions. These, this was issued in 1829 in London by the Metropolitan Police Department to every new officer. And the general instructions basically said, well, here's number one. The purpose of policing is to prevent crime and disorder as an alternative to their repression by military force and the severity of legal punishment. Number, that's number one out of nine. Number two, to recognize always that the power of the police to fulfill their functions and duties is dependent on public approval of their existence, of their actions, and of their behavior and their ability to secure and maintain public respect. We have abandoned all of this stuff. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We need a serious conversation in America on reinventing policing. And the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act is a great place to start. Tom Hartman here with you. Let's check in with uh, Debbie Hines is on the line with us, our legal analyst, uh, trial lawyer, also uh, the uh, former assistant attorney general for the state of uh, Maryland. Debbie, we haven't talked since the uh, Chauvin guilty hearing. I am Debbie Hines, by the way, dot com is, is the website and uh, I am Debbie Hines, also the Twitter handle. Debbie, we haven't talked since since the decision came down. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, you, you know, you've, you've been uh, swimming in these waters for a long, long time from being a trial lawyer to being a prosecutor. What are your thoughts? I think the verdict was as it should have been. And I told you know your audience earlier that the state, the prosecution, they put on a phenomenal case. I mean, there were no mistakes, and that rarely happens because sometimes things can happen beyond our control with the witness says something that you didn't expect them to say, and that kind of sort of tanks your case a little bit, but that didn't happen. I mean, they proved each and every element of the of the charges. The only thing was whether the jury was going to do their duty and convict, and this jury did, and as an individual and as a collective uh, sigh of relief for black Americans that finally, yes, in at least one case, one case, and we got to bear that in mind, that justice was done. Is it your sense that this uh, Chauvin conviction, I mean, we've had over 14,000 people who have been killed by police officers since the year 2000. I believe Derek Chauvin is either the sixth or seventh police officer to be convicted of murder during that period of time. Do you think that um, the Chauvin conviction is going to establish a new normal? In other words, it's actually going to change the way we start dealing with police officers who kill people under, shall we say, sketchy circumstances? Or is this simply the exception that proves the rule? This is going to be the high profile case that everybody goes, see, no problem, nothing to look at here. We don't need reform. Everything's good. Chauvin went to prison. Everything works, uh, you know, et cetera. Which is it going to be or, or, or something in between? 
So if you're listening to the people on Fox News, they think the latter, that, see, this shows that justice can be done, that there is really no problem. But if you are anywhere looking at the statistics, that, yes, there is a serious problem, and this is just the beginning. I mean, we have got to, as activists, we have to keep in the streets, and that's what Maxine Waters was trying to say to people. You have to keep in the streets. You can't. We can't rest. We can have a collective sigh of relief yesterday, but today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, we have to be out in the streets. We have to press our legislators. We've got to get action done because in that extent, this was just one case. And to that extent, the, the prosecutor was right on the one hand when he said this is a case about Derek Chauvin. I say that so, but it was also a case about how this country views police brutality. But in the scope of the world, to answer your question, this was a case about one police officer. And if we want to make change in this country, we got to do a whole lot more. So you've been a trial lawyer, you've been a prosecutor, and you were the number two, essentially, police officer, you know, the assistant attorney general for the state of Maryland. Um, You've seen this from every different direction. Where do we begin reforming our policing as well as the police themselves? What's your punch list? Where do we start? We have about about a minute and a half here, I think, by the way. Okay, so we can start with the phrase that people, some people, hate to hear, which is defund the police. And what that means, using George Floyd as an example, it means that when the police are arresting people, which is in state level, 80% of the crimes are committed are misdemeanors, 80%. So when the police are arresting people like George Floyd, who never should have been arrested anyway for uh, an alleged fake $20 bill, when we're arresting people for trespassing and and disorderly conduct and fake $20 bills and the 80% misdemeanors that are non violence, the police need to be taken away that power. There needs to be some other structure in place for that. The fact that I would call a neighbor if I were to on a loud music complaint and that person would end up as a black person dead should never happen because the police shouldn't be coming out on those 80% misdemeanors. So that would take us a long way right then and there. In terms of police uh, brutality, I don't think you can outframe racism. That's at, that's at the root and the heart of it. You know, there are black mm-hmm. officers that also just stand alone with their white counterparts, such as what happened in the Freddie Gray case. Those officers are black, as well as white officers. But in the sense of white officers like Derek Chauvin, and I don't think it's just a few rotten apples. I think that it's systemic in the police department. I don't think it's just a few Derek Chauvin's out there. And I don't know how you can, I don't think, not I don't know, I don't think you can out-train racism. Those people that are out there on the force, that they don't like black and brown people and they're racist against us, they don't need to be on the force and we have to root them out of the force. Yeah, with what? I mean, you know, uh, people reporting them or psychological testing, I mean, how do you determine racism? Well, if you go with my premise, which is what a concept of defund the police is, which is to take the authority away from the police for 80 percent of misdemeanors, that eliminates a lot of the force right then and there. Because they don't need to be out there doing everything that they're doing, trapping people for uh, air freshness hanging in their car and then killing them. So that would get rid of a lot of people right then and there in the police department. And that's why I am in support of defunding the police. Brilliant. Brilliant. Debbie Hines. I am DebbieHines.com and uh, on Twitter. Debbie, thanks so much for dropping by. Thank you. Tom Hartman here with you and Martin in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Martin, what's up? Hey, I was 
was just thinking, you know, the thing with the guns, I think it's actually part of a longer-term plan that will actually create the militia or the private army that the oligarchs have wanted for a long time. Because, you see, the reason the police have tanks and helicopters and stuff now is because the public is armed that way. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see the police justify... Well, that's the rationale. Right, I, but that's I'm not seeing gangs that have tanks. Yes, yes to automatic, have, uh, semi-automatic weapons, but not to tanks. You no. have to over, you have to overkill. You want to have your army stronger than the other army. So this is what's yeah, going on. Generally we, speaking, we have sat there and we had during George Bush, we had the other with the Muslims, and that justified a lot of tanks because, of course, Al Qaeda was going to land an army in the middle of Peoria and take over the city, so they needed tanks. Right. And it's just been a progressive. So now that that's kind of simmered down a little, now we have the urban mobs which are burning down the cities around us. So, of course, the police are going to need stronger and stronger weapons. And it's just going to continue. Now we can actually run people over in a protest. I mean, it's been yeah. a protection of property over Yeah, people. we have three states now that have legalized plan. legalized uh, killing people, in, you know, in, in, if they're protesting police violence. It's, it's, it's astonishing. Um, I, I'm with you, Martin. And, and it's, and, and, you know, if we weren't so hyper-militarized or so hyper-weaponized, we'd be in a much better position. Martin, thank you. Jonathan in Portland. Hey, Jonathan, what's up? Hi, Tom. Talking about Cagney and Lacey, I'm going to go a little farther back than that. But for those folks that remember Frank Serpico and the movie that was made about him and how mm-hmm. he nearly lost his life because uh, he was a a good cop, honest cop in New York who was almost killed by all the corrupt cops who wanted him to take bribes. And that's a problem we don't hear much about anymore, but it's still a serious problem. How cops used to walk around and drop knives and guns at, at the scene just so that they could blame the victim. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would just take this one step further and say this, the problem of racism is much bigger and policing you know, and I think the way to understand it is by looking at, for instance, looking at corporations, looking at the tobacco industry. The tobacco industry gave in, in 2011, uh, provided Interpol with 11 percent or 8 percent of, of their budget, which is the world's largest police organization in the world. They give to the National Black Chamber of Commerce and the Congress of Racial Equity and the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives and the National Black Police Organizations who are against banning menthol cigarettes, which is the, the cigarette that is most popular among black customers. I mean, because they say that they will lose tax revenues. And uh, keep in mind, you know, when you buy a pack of cigarettes, right, you know, in some cases, almost half of that is money that's going to go to the coffers of the local government. So, you know, whether the cops realize it or not, I mean, they're the collection agencies for the, for the, for the tobacco companies. And, uh, yeah, um, which is why it's illegal to sell loose cigarettes. <laughs> thus, thus the murder of Eric Garner. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Jonathan, thank you for the call. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. I hope it's a beautiful day there like it is here in Portland. And you can get outside and walk for a couple of miles. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 